We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Gets it, spins away, baseline shot, Shea puts it in, and walks it off in OKC. Giddy keeps it himself and takes it up as he glides with the finger roll. What is up, Thunder fans? And welcome to the Uncontested Postgame Podcast. I'm your host for today on this fun Friday morning, Taylor Peterson. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Taylor underscore P15. You can find us on all socials at the underscore uncontested. Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, YouTube, you name it, we're there. Uh, we're a proud part of Blue Wire Podcast Network and DailyThunder.com. If you don't already, be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If you noticed, I said post-game podcast on a Friday morning. Well, uh, I haven't, and also, there was no live stream last night. That is because yours truly, uh, I guess I'm also feeling the uh, the long season, <laughs> the, str- the wear and tear of a long season, and uh, after the game, I uh, I was tweeting along with everyone. I was putting my notes together. I was waiting for some some post game comments after the game to be able to use for my my post game podcast. And I fell asleep on the couch. <laughs> Woke up at about three a.m. and said, "Well, crap." <laughs> so here I am on a Friday morning, uh, not a live stream. So I apologize for those of you who who wanted to join, who are accustomed to our our post games, uh, our post game schedule. But nevertheless, I am here to break down. Not sure I'd call it a fun one necessarily, but a very important win for the Oklahoma City Thunder as they beat the Utah Jazz in Utah, 114-98. to um, Before I get any further, just some, and before we get into a bit of a game breakdown, just some big takeaways uh, that, that really stood out to me from tonight's game. The first one, uh, not only was Taylor gassed last night, <laughs> but so were the Thunder starters. And this is a theme that I noticed not only with last night's game, but really throughout the past week, week and a half as well. And it's not just me. I am sure you all have seen me tweet about it. I've talked about this with the guys in our Slack and group group messages. Um, my dad and brother have mentioned it in our group texts, our Thunder group texts. Um, I, I have some other Thunder group texts on Twitter and, and people texting me, friends, saying the same thing uh, unprompted. And so I think this is a thing that we're really starting to see. And I thought I'd try and shed a little bit of context into it. And then maybe what the Thunder, maybe some some reasons for optimism heading into this, this literally final stretch, uh, one more game and hopefully play in as well uh, for why the Thunder maybe could kind of get out of this uh, this fatigue and, and hopefully get a little more energy heading into some pretty critical games. Uh, my second takeaway, 
the bench came up huge. Enough said. I mean, we're def- we're, we're going to break it down. And you'll see this kind of being a theme, I think, as we go through the game by game uh, or the game uh, quarter by quarter breakdown. The bench was huge and really was the main reason I think that the Thunder won last night. Offensive rebounds and second chance points were also a huge reason. I don't have nearly as much on that just because it's pretty straightforward and blunt. Uh, but a huge reason that I think the Thunder were able to win last night as well. And then Mark tightens the rotations. I obviously was a little upset, as many were, uh, that Charlotte game last week where the rotations were not very tight. <laughs> and I think ultimately, if they were tightened up, that might be one more win. I'm not blaming Mark. I mean, to be clear, we've covered that plenty, uh, as many have over the past week. But I think it was pretty obvious that the Thunder knew they needed to win tonight. And that was led, you know, and that was shared at the very top, Mark Daynall tightening the rotations. So let's go ahead and go into the step-by-step game summary. Just some pregame notes. Utah was not very interested in winning this one. To be clear, not the not the players who play. They they played very hard, and we can get into that as well. Um, but Utah and front office in general, no Laurie Markinen, no Colin Sexton, no Jordan Clarkson, no Walker Kessler. I think he has his like in concussion protocol or something, uh, and no THT. He was a late scratch. So Taylor Horton Tucker really has kind of taken on the reins here over the past week with a lot of those main guys sitting for Utah. Uh, he was out as well. Lou ended up being available after being question, uh, listed as questionable for the majority of the day due to that left shoulder strain he suffered when driving to the rim against the Clippers. Um, Poku out, or sorry, not the Clippers, the uh, Warriors. Uh, Poku was out with a left knee contusion. Uh, thankfully, Dignall said it's unrelated to Poku's previous left leg injury. That's still not great. Especially, it just seems like Poku, JRE as well, like those are two guys who just never, uh, injuries kind of derailed their season. Even though they both were clear to come back, they just haven't looked the same post-injury. Uh, again, just not enough time really in the season to get them uh, back to full game strength, full game speed, uh, even just from a, a mental and speed of the game standpoint, much less just rehab and recovery. So Poku having another setback, even if it's unrelated, uh, probably means we aren't going to see much of any of Poku here down the stretch. Or sorry, these, these, this final regular season game and then hopefully a playing game as well. And then the Thunder starting five, they go with the usual starting five since Lou did end up playing. Shea, Lou, Giddy, J-Dub, J-Will. So a quick look at the first quarter. A lot of back and forth early, which honestly was disappointing to me given who was playing for Utah. Um, I would have liked to see the Thunder tighten up the de- defense a little bit, especially with not very many scores playing for Utah. And this is kind of a theme, again, that we've seen over the past week. Uh, the, the first quarter, Thunder come off you know, get going uh, on a hot streak offensively, but really struggle defensively. Um, the effort rotations just aren't quite there. And a lot of that's probably due to fatigue, but that was a little unfortunate. Again, I kind of would have rather seen them come out, set the tone early, and then, you know, we'll, we'll get into that. But a lot of back and forth. Jay Will had two nice catch and shoot threes, I noted. Um, and just kind of to that original point I had, all five starters played the first eight minutes of the game. And that just kind of gave me the impression that Dagnall was hoping to set a tone early and get out ahead of the shorthanded Jazz team. And then hopefully that leads to some rest for some key guys like Lou Dort, uh, Shea, Giddy, J-Dub, who are going to be playing some big minutes, uh, maybe hopefully against, or maybe hopefully not, uh, if the Thunder get out to a big start against Memphis. <laughs> but obviously in a potential hypothetical playing game, you're those guys are going to be playing 40 minutes plus. Um, so, or 30 minutes plus and, and likely 40 minutes a piece. So, that wasn't the case, but I think it was pretty telling that Dagnall played each of those guys uh, so long into the first quarter, which is you know not standard uh, like we've seen over the past week or two. Threes were going in early, which was thankfully a sign of things to come for OKC, kind of. 
<laughs> kind of. I mean, uh, they went on some some streaks from three, which I think were critical in this game. But uh, overall, they didn't shoot the ball particularly well. Um, but they had one of those streaks in the first quarter, which was good to see. Dub, J. Will, Shea all had an early made threes. And this is from Nick Gallo uh, of the Thunder. He said, as OKC was setting up that final possession to end the quarter, Dagnall directed Aaron Wiggins to switch spots with Isaiah Joe on this play. And then the play he's referring to, uh, Shea got to the middle of the floor, finds Joe, who uh, I believe somebody came up and set a pick for him. I can't remember. It might have been Jay Will. Um, I can't remember who was in at that point. Regardless, Joe's wide open in the corner for a three. Shea makes a really nice pass. Uh, I, I had noted that even before re, uh, before seeing Gallo's tweet at the end of the quarter. And then Joe ends up hitting a wide open three in the corner for uh, to beat the buzzer, puts the thunder up 32 to 25. Second quarter, my first note is that this is where things get ugly. The Jazz go on a 13 to four run in the quarter, or they were, uh, and yeah, that 13 4 run in the quarter, a 10 0 run to begin the quarter. Uh, actually got up to, I guess that ended up being an 11 0 run by the Jazz, cut it to six. After they went to a matchup zone, which really gave this Thunder team trouble. Um, one thing I was doing when I was dropping off the little guy this morning, um, I was listening to the OKC Dream Team podcast, and I, I kind of like Brett Dawson's comparison uh, He in the way he described it. I just thought it was funny and worth noting. Um, he was like, you know, the zone is one of those things that everybody knows how to beat a zone. You do it in high school. You do it early on in your basketball playing career. But in the NBA, it's just like a foreign language being thrown out. These guys, they completely forget what to do. It's like writing cursive or something is what I think of, right? Like we all wrote cur cursive in elementary and we're told, oh, you're going to have to write cursive in college. But we end up not having to do that. Uh, our generation didn't have to do that because computers and technology and all that fun stuff. Uh, and so now when I'm writing, I have to like write a check or something like that. And I'm having to write cursive. I'm like, how do you do this again? Uh, that's kind of what the Thunder looked like with this zone, <laughs> this matchup zone. And it really gave the Thunder trouble. The Jazz cut to three with 30 seconds left in the half. Utah closed the half on a 14 to two run. Uh, I think I mentioned that here at the top. And then just a really tough finish. OKC had a 52 38 lead with just over three minutes left in the half. And OKC goes into halftime leading only 55 to 52, which is pretty awful. Uh, the Jazz had a 36 16 edge in the paint, or sorry, in paint points, which is very uncharacteristic for OKC. You don't see that very often, obviously. And OKC was only eight of 20 in the paint. Uh, Shea only had two shot attempts the entire second. That's probably the stat that stood out the, the most to me there uh, in the first half. Uh, only nine first half points for Shea uh, alongside Josh Giddy. So the Thunder come out of uh, halftime a bit more aggressive. Unfortunately, the Thunder seemed content taking the threes that Utah's zone was giving them. Um, they were aggressive. But they also were aggressive in shooting those threes. And I thought Dort, J. Will, really all the stars struggled uh, shooting the ball particularly. Well, Utah finally started to hit some shots, some outside shots here down the stretch. One thing that they don't mention is he felt like they're generating good looks against that zone, um, but shots just weren't falling until they were, which is fair. So obviously that was a direct a, a direction from the coaching staff, you know, continue to take those shots that are given to you. But I would have liked to see the Thunder maybe uh, push to get in the paint a little more, which I understand is hard when Utah's packing the paint with his own defense, um, but maybe a little more creation from guys like Shea, Giddy, Dub even Dort driving and then kicking out to shooters to create some better looks. Uh, one thing I, I thought Dort and Giddy did really well is they uh, were rebounding ball really fantastically, uh, especially on the offensive boards. And that really kind of sparked, it kept OKC alive there uh, in the third quarter, even though they weren't really making shots. And then let's see. I, yeah. The bench unit comes in really give his team a much needed spark defensively and offensively. It was much needed and really impressive. Uh, 11 third quarter points for Shea, which is much better after only having nine in the first half. Thought Dub really got it going in the third. 
uh, starting with a two-handed slam. And it, it kind of continued. It wasn't like he scored a lot of points or anything. I don't mean that when I said, say he got going, but I thought he kind of took on a lead playmaking role there, especially when Shea didn't have it. That was really great to see. Uh, it just, you know, there was a couple different plays where when he had that two-handed slam, shortly after he had a great play where he did an inside-out dribble move, uh, through, he made it through two Jazz defenders, and then laid the ball off the glass. Like, that's just kind of the spark that OKC needed uh, when a guy like Shea didn't really have it going and, and Dub wasn't really creating off the dribble as much. Um, so that was just something I noted here as well, alongside, obviously, the bench coming in. And then offensive rebounding and second-chance points were key in this quarter. Even though the Thunder weren't really hitting outside shots, uh, they started to get it going there towards the end of the third. But it was that offensive rebound and second-chance points that I mentioned here at the top of the podcast. Thunder led 84-76 after three quarters. And then the fourth quarter, I thought the Thunder bench continued to rally. Uh, they went on an 18-2 run from the end of the third through the fourth quarter, which was just huge. The Jazz at one point actually cut it the lead back to 11 because of course they did. Uh, it would not be a Thunder game without a little bit of a heart attack there in a fourth quarter, uh, but the Thunder closing unit, uh, a combination of the bench and starters were able to finish the job and hold out that last counter from Utah, which is really impressive for such a young Thunder team, especially on the road towards the end of the season to be able to withstand a punch like that from a bunch of Utah guys that I understand they aren't in at the top of the pecking order and any rotation, uh, but obviously fighting for their NBA jobs, their careers, like we talked about with some of these teams that the Thunder played over the past week, uh, very motivated to perform well and play well. And um, it was an impressive counter from the Jazz, and it was even more impressive, I thought, for this young Thunder team to uh, hold that off and then end the game with a big exclamation point. Uh, Dort was taken out with about seven minutes left in the third and did not come back in. Uh, Joe checked in with about five minutes left instead of Lou. That's where we typically would see Lou come back in to finish and close the game. Instead, it was Isaiah Joe. We'll get into maybe why that was here in a little bit. Um, Thunder won 114-98, shot only 40% from the floor on 97 attempts, which is kind of wild, even more wild. And, and again, really related to that matchup zone that the Jazz played the majority of the game. They went only 15-45 from three. Again, 45 uh, of the 97 shots, almost 50% of shot the, 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 can't talk, the Thunder shot attempts last night were from three because that's what the defense was giving them, right? Um, but they had 14 more shot attempts than the Jazz and were 21 and 26 from the free throw line. And I think with that also had 26 points off turnovers and 12 steals. Those are effort stats to me. Uh, this team, even if they were gassed, even if they weren't necessarily playing uh, to their peak like we've seen you know, here throughout March and, and February, they really wanted this one. They knew how critical it was to get this win if they truly wanted to make the play-in, which they obviously do. And I thought those stats really kind of echo that sentiment that they wanted this one. They they knew what was at stake, and they kind of willed this win to happen, even, like I said, if it wasn't their necessarily their best performance. So some interesting stats there that really could have been big takeaways, but maybe just a, an additional bonus big takeaway here is that the Thunder's effort was there, even if the performance wasn't. And like I said, the uh, the extra shot attempts, 21 and 26 getting to the free throw line um, and, and getting to the free, th free throw line more than Jazz, uh, playing solid defense on Utah. And then the 26 points off turnovers and 12 steals. This team was running in transition, which I've said forever is when they're at their best. And uh, I thought that was really critical in a game like tonight where they're tired. Uh, they're able to pull it off. So let's go ahead and get into some big takeaways that I mentioned at the top of the podcast into a little more detail. The starters look gassed. I thought this, I know Jacob tweeted this out, uh, we talked about it in our Slack. Maybe Shea's worst game of the season. Again, it's a very long season, and we are 81 games in of 82, so I'm obviously not going to remember every single performance, but 
certainly one of Shea's worst games of the season. Yeah, just some some interesting cues like tugging at his shorts constantly, right? Uh, hands on his knees, uh, bent over, kind of uncharacteristic for Shea. Also un uncharacteristic. Only, I put that in parentheses, but for Shea, only 10 free throw attempts. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Um, only, you know, I guess five trips to the line. It's pretty unique for Shea, <laughs> who we're accustomed to seeing at least 20 attempts, it feels like, per game uh, for him. And he shot five threes, which I think kind of leads to this point as well. Uh, obviously, he was tired, maybe a little injured, um, tr wasn't really getting to the basket. We've seen Shea completely cut those threes out of his shot diet, for lack of a better term, throughout this season. Um, really only one to two three-point attempts some games he has zero and for him to shoot five threes I understand that is what Utah was giving him I understand they were packing the paint uh, but uncharacteristic of Shea I, again I think some of that's just the tired legs uh, leading to him not really wanting to drive to the rim not having the energy to uh, to absorb contact like he typically does like we're accustomed to seeing and you know like I said at least those those five uh, three-point shots uh, above the break and this is also the first game he's played in uh, I, I made sure to to add that context in, obviously he's been out uh, a handful of games over the, the past couple of months, but this is the first game he's played in that he scored less than 30 since February 15th against the Rockets. So pretty wild, uh, basically post all-star break. This was the first game he scored less than 30 points. Again, some of that could be uh, injury. We know he's had that abdominal strain. Uh, uh, strain. Uh, he also tweaked that ankle. He's, you know, he's dealing with bumps and bruises just like, all the other stars in the league are. So I bet it's some of that. Uh, also the alt the altitude in Utah, and, you know, you hear players talk about that all the time and just a very long season. <laughs> and I think that we ever kind of seen that from Shea, as well as these other guys, Lou is one of seven uh, from the field and O of three from three. He only played 19 minutes. Again, that could be the shoulder injury. It probably is. Um, but I also think it's a combination of things like Aaron Wiggins coming in and playing really well on both sides of the ball uh, and showing a little more effort in that spot where Lou would typically be playing in the lineup. Um, 
and Lou was just shooting really poorly. He wasn't finishing at the rim. He, he was missing his open shots. Again, Lou's struggles on the road continue to show, and that was apparent last night. You know, I, I think, it, obviously, if I don't even know if Dignall was asked about it post game, but if he were, he would tell you it's just because of the shoulder and the chance to get him uh, fully healed up, especially with him being questionable heading into the game. That's not necessarily a lie. I'm sure that's true. Um, but that's probably not the full truth. Uh, if, if he were playing well, he probably plays some additional minutes. And I think he was kind of benched there in the third quarter, especially when a player like Aaron Wiggins is performing better. So just worth noting. And then, uh, like I said, no, and then J-Dub, 4-10 from the four, 1-4 from three. He had that good stretch there in the third quarter, but as a whole, another not great J-Dub game. Uh, he's really struggled over the, not really, but he's he has struggled over the past week. And again, I think you're starting to see the fatigue set in for him as well in his first NBA season. So like I said, it's worth mentioning the altitude of Utah. And that's something players talk about all the time, especially at the end of a road trip. Like that's going to add up. Uh, the injuries to Shane Lou, like I mentioned, each of them kind of, you know, battling their own bumps and bruises. And this is, but this is a trend, like I said, that I've noticed throughout really the past week and a half or so. And I think you, I mean, you think about it, you think about these guys that I mentioned, Shay's rookie season. He played the entire season, uh, a normal season, 82 games, but obviously not at the 30 plus minutes a game that we're seeing from him now. Um, his second season when he was traded to OKC was the COVID year. So yes, technically he played through the postseason, but you had the big gap in between the regular season, the resumption of the regular season, and then the bubble. Um, and then, you know, the, the tanking seasons that we've mentioned where he's been sitting out towards the end of the season with, with legitimate injuries, right? Um, but hasn't truly played a full normal season since his rookie year. And this is the first year uh, he's playing a full season with these as a star, as a superstar, with those superstar minutes and the workload. And I think that's starting to show and probably is the majority of it there. Losing a similar boat, right? Hasn't played a full season. Uh, very, very similar to Shea in that regard. J-Dub's a rookie. And we always uh, hear from rookies about, Josh Giddey's mentioned this a lot, right? Uh, about the grind of a regular NBA season, something he wasn't really accustomed to coming from Australia and the NBL. Very different, very different uh, workload. And I, I think it's just starting to add up for all these guys. And, and that's kind of the trend I'm seeing. So the good news here is that there's two nights back home in their own beds in the city before they play their last game of the season against Memphis on Sunday. And then assuming they win, assuming they make the play in two nights uh, in between Sunday night's game and the first play in game as well, although they will be on the road, unfortunately, uh, still some additional rest. You think about the crazy March that they had. I forget what, what, the stat was but i mean they were playing a ton of basketball so anyways just worth noting my next one my next probably probably my biggest takeaway of the game is that the bench came up huge looking at dario Saric, uh, i thought he played fantastic last night and again uh this kind of goes to another big takeaway of mine the fact that Saric played as much as he did shows how much the thunder wanted to win this one he's been very impactful since the thunder traded for him at the deadline and traded basically to to phoenix tonight might have been one of my favorite games from him 14 points on 50, 50, 100 splits, 10 rebounds, one assist, one steal, two blocks, a game high, plus 20. This is tweeted out again from uh, my guy Jacob. A really, really great game from Sarge. I thought a friend of the podcast, JPU, had a really stat that he pulled last night in regards to Sarge, if I can find it here. Great podcasting. Here we go. Uh, before this game, which he was a plus 20, OKC was uh, plus 8.2 per 100 possessions with Dario Sarge on the floor and 500 plus possessions 
Uh, and around 80% of his minutes have been without Shea on the floor, which is really interesting. Uh, OKC's defense rating in Sarge is 567. Non-garbage time possessions is 106.7, which is 99th percentile for all NBA lineups. That's pretty incredible defense there with Sarge as your defensive anchor. And in contrast, Jay Will, nearly 2,000 possessions. Uh, the Thunder's defensive rating is 118.3, quite a bit worse. Uh, he JPOSU pulled that from cleaning the glass. Obviously, cleaning the glass accounts for garbage time, so that's why uh, JP had that, that note in there about garbage time non-garbage time minutes because that's a better sample size for these players but it shows i thought Will really struggled last night again probably some fatigue there for him as well but he really struggled defensively um he was trying to draw charges wasn't really working for him last night but sarch has been great defensively is the point of that and i think that really showed last night and he it was was huge for the thunder bench uh, in a game that they really really needed it and maybe a little bit um of a, of a positive that he hasn't been playing a ton here over the last week because he had fresh legs and it was severely needed for a, a, a tired and sluggish OKC team. And then probably the player of the game, Aaron Wiggins. Uh, he had 11 of his 15 points in the fourth quarter. He was hitting threes, creating for his teammates, driving and finishing through contact, which is something that I think he's gotten better and better at. Uh, he's had some plays, like I said, really over the past week, that just kind of had a, made my mouth drop because he's finishing through contact and making shots that, you know, seem kind of crazy, kind of uh, stuff that we've been accustomed to seeing uh, Shay do and, the fact that Wiggins has improved so much in that regard has been huge for this team. Uh, he moves off the ball so well. He's great at cutting and finding those uh, those all open spots on the floor when he doesn't have the ball in his hands, and that's something that Kendrick Williams obviously has been great at. And kind of in a nutshell, I mean, Wiggins has really kind of filled the boy here, particularly towards the season that Kenrich played for the team. Obviously, we miss Kenrich and <laughs> would be a much better team with him here, uh, but Wiggins, when he's playing like this, when he's playing like a Kenrich, really raises the ceiling of this team. And Giddy had a really good quote that we'll get into. At first, I just want to read off Wiggins' stat line because I didn't do that here at the top. 15 points, four rebounds, three assists, five of nine from the floor, only one of four from three, which is weird because it feels like he had more than that. But that one three he had in the corner in the fourth quarter from a great pass from Giddy uh, was really huge. Four of four from the free throw line, led uh, all bench players with 28 minutes. So he had three steals, which also was huge. He was running the ball in transition and really was the spark kind of behind that in, that, uh, in the third and fourth quarter, getting the team to run out and transition again and get those steals. Um, so again, just a really great, really great game from Aaron Wiggins. And then this quote from Josh Giddy really kind of summarizes that. Um, let's see if I can find it. <laughs> when Wiggs is at his, uh, defensively, he was great. Offensively, he plays such a simple game, but is so effective for us. And then this is me talking again, but I think what Giddy's referring to there it's like I mentioned, he it's nothing fancy that he's doing out there, but he moves so well off the ball. He gets to his spots so well and knows exactly where he needs to be when guys like Giddy, Shea, J-Dub are driving. And it really is huge for this team. I agree with Josh. And then Josh continues, when Wiggs is at his best on both ends of the floor, it takes our team to another level. And I think that's spot on. Like I said, really feeling that really left for this Thunder team, and he's doing a great job at it. So Great to see Wiggins getting more regular uh, minutes, and we'll kind of get into that as well when I talk about Daniel's rotations tightening up. Isaiah Joe and Lindy Waters are two more off the bench worth mentioning because they both were in double digits. Uh, Isaiah Joe, 11 points, only 3 of 11 from the floor, 3 of 9 from 3, 2 of 2 from the free throw line. Again, kind of similar to the Warriors game. Uh, he played really well in the first half and then cooled off in the second, but nonetheless, the Thunder need those minutes, and uh, he's done just enough to help them 
you know, get over that hump uh, in this game against Utah and then also just stay competitive against Golden State. So that's worth mentioning. And then Lenny Waters, he didn't play in the Golden State game. Probably, if I had to guess, because of the, well, I guess he's on, never mind, he's on a full contract now. Uh, so disregard, uh, but he gets minutes tonight against Utah. And played solid. 10 points, 4 or 7 from the floor, 2 or 5 from 3 in 15 minutes. Um, I thought, again, some really good and solid minutes from Waters. And he continues to kind of surprise me defensively. He's really improved in that regard. And again, just a really much needed spark off the bench for this Thunder team. So just to summarize, that's been four players, double digits. Uh, Paris Lawson had a really good point that she brought up post game. Uh, All in all, seven guys racked up tenor. And again, this is for the entirety of the team but really led by that bench unit. All in all, seven guys racked up 10 or more points against the Jazz. That marks the seventh time this season where the Thunder has reached that mark. Um, eight players cashed in a three-pointer. Eight players scored nine or more points, and five guys had six or more rebounds. And again, a lot of that was led by that Thunder bench unit. Now, uh, one more, or I guess technically two more big takeaways. This one's a much more simple, like I said at the top of the podcast, much more blunt stat, but the offensive rebounds and second-chance points. Thunder out-rebound the Jazz 60-50. to 50. I think a lot of that could be uh, attributed to that zone that they were playing. The Thunder were crashing the boards, though, and just getting offensive rebounds, which was huge. That led to 24 second chance points to Utah's 10. Quite a discrepancy there, and again, just shows you, even if shots weren't falling, which they weren't, uh, the Thunder were making, just kind of willing this game into a a victory uh, with that effort, and I think that's shown there with the rebounds and also second chance points. And then Mark tightens the rotations. Again, uh, especially after the past week, this was really good to see in a much, not a much needed, a critical win, um, a, a, an essential win for the Thunder to be able to make the play in. Mark really tightened those rotations. Obviously, first, uh, let's see, 19 minutes for Ludor, which we talked about, 28 for Jada, 37 for Shea, 35 for Giddy, 23 minutes for Sarich, 28 for Wiggins. 21 for Joe and 15 for water. So essentially he goes to a nine man rotation. The rest of the guys got in with some garbage time at the very end, but the thunder uh, Mark Dignall ends up only playing nine guys. And I think it's interesting that guys like Usman Jang didn't really see the floor. Obviously Sar didn't see the floor, even though the jazz were playing uh, bigger guys out there. Right. And, you know, we even saw Sar get, get some minutes here a couple weeks ago, like against the Clippers. Uh, Dignall obviously tightened these rotations, went to guys that he could really trust and it, it's interesting to me that a guy like, and as, I mean, really shows how much work that a guy like Waters has put in, but that he's made that rotation. That's really cool. Um, I, I'm super happy and excited for him. It's well deserved, and it's something to kind of keep an eye on into the off season and into the beginning of next season in training camp when we're thinking about the roster crunch. I mean, Waters is in this this tight rotation. Uh, he may not be as automatic of a roster cut as some may think, which I think is interesting. So. All that to say, uh, I thought Jacob had a really, another really good tweet. I keep uh, talking about Jacob's tweets on this post game, uh, just you know, uh, inflating his head. But <laughs> uh, I think he was spot on when he mentioned that if this is probably a, a glimpse into the nine-man rotation lineup when the Thunder get to the postseason, uh, assuming they get this playing game, and hopefully, if they win the playing game uh, into another playing game and potentially the playoffs, this is likely the lineup we see. Maybe some guys like Waters get. You know, maybe we see a Poku come in for a Waters at a certain point, or even an Usman Jang at a certain point, depending on the matchups, um, depending on the game. But this is likely the nine-man rotation for the Thunder if, if they were to make the postseason. So worth noting. And I think that's all I have for big takeaways. 
like I mentioned, my player of the game is Aaron Wiggins, what he was able to bring on both ends of the four, particularly can't talk particularly there in the third and fourth quarters was gigantic for this team. And was, he was a, a main catalyst um, leading to the thunder win and, and a big reason they did get this win. Obviously I'm not going live, so I don't have any Twitter questions or YouTube chats to, to go through. Um, but appreciate all of you tuning in regardless. And I promise uh, into the postseason we'll have post games uh, and Sunday we'll actually have a group podcast for y'all to jump into and we'll address all of your comments, questions when we have a clear picture on whether the thunder will be in the plan or not. So the thunder are now a half game up on the math, speaking of the plan uh, for the 10th spot. And they're a game and a half back in Minnesota for ninth place. The Mavs can surpass the Thunder by winning both of their next two games. I believe they play tonight, Friday night, and then again on Sunday. They have the Bulls and then the Spurs. Um, so if they lose one of those, they're done. Um, but I think Giddy had a really good quote post game that I agreed with. He's like, we don't, I mean, essentially in, that, in a nutshell, he was saying we don't want to rely on that. We want to control our own destiny. So we really want that win Sunday against Memphis to, to get us in. We don't want to rely on other teams to get us into the plan. And he also mentioned, I thought it was kind of interesting. He said, we're probably going to see a Memphis team on Sunday similar to what we saw tonight. And what he meant by that is that Memphis will be resting a lot of their main guys. Um, it's going to be some of their bench guys that they're, they're bringing up and, and getting big playing times, uh, assuming that Memphis is able to secure that second seed. Before then, I think they play tonight as well. And so basically he was saying we can't take that for granted, right? We have to go and control our own destiny, make sure we take care of business back home. So it's going to be fun. Obviously, <laughs> nothing is locked into place just yet. The Thunder are going to keep us on the edge of our seats, uh, on our toes all the way until the end of the season. But the uncontested will have you all covered uh, for all of it, even if we fall asleep on the couch and don't do a live post game. <laughs> so thank you all again for tuning in. Stay tuned. We have some really exciting news that we're extremely fortunate and, and excited to be to, to, to announce to you all here soon, hopefully this weekend. So stay tuned for that. As the Thunder get closer and closer to the play-in, uh, be sure to join Sunday night when we do our post-game podcast as we will finally have a clear picture on A, if the Thunder make the play-in, and B, who they will, will be playing. We'll have you covered for it all. So thank you all again. Oh, one, one quick aside. Shout out to all the OKC fans who showed up at 2.30 in the morning in the cold uh, at the airport to welcome the team back to OKC. That's awesome stuff. This team deserves our support. Uh, they're an extremely fun and exciting team. You can just see the, the, the players' faces. They were A, were shocked, and B, were super appreciative. They all engaged with all the fans there. Uh, Shea was going crazy, which is awesome. J-Dub had a tweet about it. So just a, a, a quick aside before we get out of here. Shout out to all the fans who made it out there. Be sure to go and support this team. If you can, I know after, uh, go and, and support these guys, and hopefully we'll be there supporting them for a plan as well. So, as always, thunder up. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.